Hello and welcome to today's Tax Intel podcast. Today it's our great pleasure to welcome Raphael Jafari to the Textile podcast. Raphael is the CEO of Ecotex, based in LA, and has spent, spent his life pioneering and delivering innovative, eco-friendly fabrics to the textile industry. Raphael, welcome. Thank you. And thanks for making the time for us um, and start your day with, uh, with a podcast. It makes a change. Um, before we talk about your multiple achievements and what you're working on in the present, um, I discovered a blog post from 2013 and just thought it might be a little bit of fun to ask you um, a, couple of, a, a couple of answers to those questions. Let's see what you remember. Um, and I'll add in some of mine as well. I just thought it might be a nice, more relaxed way to start a podcast today. What, okay. what is your greatest fear? Um, I would have to say still failure. It's still the number one fear that I have, you know, you know, yeah. because especially now in this day and age um, where there's so many disruptive technologies and disruptive um, changes being happening, you know, well-established industries. So it's more important to stay relative and stay, you know, on top of things. Yeah, stay current. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, it's difficult. Next question. What's your favorite occupation? My favorite occupation, believe it or not, I still love the fashion industry. I still love textiles. I enjoy I especially enjoy the the, the creativity and um, being a part of something bigger and maybe making things that might make some changes. I'm not gonna say in people's lives because it doesn't. Textiles and fashions don't, but although sometimes, you know, people feel good about wearing, you know, certain clothes for certain occasions, you know. But I think um, overall, you know, trying to make a difference. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one, isn't it? Um, yeah. Who is your fictional hero? Can you remember? Um, I think I had said Superman. Yeah, you know, you did, that was yeah. just me as a kid growing up. Yeah, you know, I would say uh, it's still Superman or Captain Kirk, and I would say Captain Kirk from Star Trek because. <laughs> I wish the technology of being beamed here and there would exist. I know. That would be a thing to experience. I know. I can remember watching him with that um, flip thing that he used to say, beam me up, Scotty. And then, of course, right. that became the Motorola mobile phone, phone, didn't it? Yeah. All those years later. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's <laughs> weird. Okay. Um, but who are your real life superheroes? You know, um, I would say my grandparents, my parents, you know, uh, people who are working the grind, who are innovative, you know, who are believe in, in their cause at any cost and they stick to it until they achieve it. Yeah, great answer, great answer. Um, okay, we'll skip a few. Um, who are your favorite designers? Um, I would say I like Yves Saint Laurent, you know, and um, I like uh, Balenciaga still, you know, and uh, Tom Ford. Oh, cool! That's great. I think yeah. one. I think one of mine would have to be. It's quite sad today as well, isn't it? Karl Lagerfeld, who 
reading more about him was, yes absolutely uh, was quite an icon yeah and that he allowed he his yep. creativity ruled 100 percent and um reading about him he wouldn't even discuss absolutely. marketing he just his his contract was pure creative which is um you know, one of the other creative guys that I really used to love was John Galliano before he had his meltdown. Yeah. <laughs> I was so looking forward to seeing his fashion shows because it was such theater. Yeah. Uh, but most recently, I saw a fashion show of Dior yeah. with this dance company from Israel that was out of this world as well. Oh, really? So that's another good one. Oh. Skip back yeah. a question. What do you consider your greatest achievement so far? Um, I would say my children. Okay, that's a good one too. Yeah, yeah. You I know, think I'd share that one. Yeah, because uh, you know, you work for everything in your life. You want to achieve, you know, uh, professional success. And in the past few years, you know, we've seen so many disruptions and so many, you know, businesses were established, being gone, new ones being invented. But the one thing that stays, you know, your legacy will be your name and your kids. So I would say my greatest achievements are my kids. Oh, and the last question from those that blog post then, what else inspires you? Um, nature. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Absolutely nature for sure. Uh, architecture. Um, the innocence of my kids. And their future, yeah. And um, basically, that's it. Oh, it's interesting that on that topic, though, isn't it? That with um, with the fabrics that you create and the sustainable sustainable aspect of all of the eco friendly textiles that you have spent many many years pioneering, you are actually changing the future. You are actually improving the environment one step at a time, aren't you? And you've been doing that for a very long time. Yeah, we've tried, you know, um, basically, you know, when I started, you know, I was, I used to work for my father's company uh -huh. and, uh, that was back in 1990 or so. And, you know, I used to read, uh, Women's Wear Daily as my daily Bible, yeah, I read what's, that. Yeah. what's coming yeah. forward. And I read about this company in Grimsby, England named Cortals uh -huh. and they had come up with this new fiber which they had um, a name called Lyocell. It wasn't ten, it wasn't named Tencel yet. Yeah. And and I read it was the first new fiber since the invention of polyester in the sixties and this fiber what set it apart was that it was although it was man made, it was natural, it was biodegradable it didn't, you know, emit any harmful emissions to the atmosphere. It was something new and different and new age, and that got me excited. And, you know, I contacted Cartals and uh, we got started with them. So what did you have to do in order to actually prepare that fiber and get it out there for the mass market? Honestly speaking, um, even Cortals at the time, they didn't have the, the right formula to fully finish Tencel. Because even if you dyed it and enzyme washed it, um, after a few laundries, it would start to fibrillate. That's like pilling on the surface of the garments. Okay. And on the fabrics. And um, 
that that took about a year, year and a half of uh, trying different formulas. Uh, and I have to tell you, Quartals at the time, they were extremely supportive. They had offices and tech support based in uh, Alabama because that's where they had a, a plant producing the fiber. Yeah. So yeah. I remember the gentleman's name was Victor Almeida. He was a Portuguese uh, gentleman who was an expert. We stayed, we spent days and months, you know, at the dye house trying different formulas until, you know, uh, something worked, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, we tried and uh, was able to, uh, were able to come up with, um, first, I would say, first commercially viable and acceptable ball quantities, not a few hundred yards, yeah. but to be able yeah. to do 20, 30, 40, 50,000 yards of a color of a fabric. And that was the beginning for us. Uh, that was in 1993. Wow. And yet, wasn't, wasn't that fiber developed in the 1970s initially? Initially, yes. Yeah, yeah, which is, um, yeah, crazy really when you think like with you know 40 years on from that nearly aren't we um okay so did you did you first blend that with denim to make denim software was that the first application for it or just one no, of the most successful what we had the first applications we did were um 100 tensile we did tensile cottons we did, we did and tensile uh viscose So we first tried to uh, finish it in dyeing or preparing it for garment dyeing because being based in Los Angeles, garment dyeing is a big part of the LA fashion. It's more relaxed and actually uh, Tencel has its best hand and performance and drape when it's garment dyed rather than fabric dyed. Although this day and age with the uh, advancement of, you know, dyeing and finishing machines, you can get pretty close to the same garment dye, tumble dry hand, but um, we initially started at at that. And then later on, as we got that perfected, or as we got it better, we then uh, started to work with, you know, doing yarn dyed shirtings and then adding, you know, indigos, you know, in um, some form or shape, some in 100% tensile, some were blended with cotton, because the 100% tensiles were seemed to be too drapey and more feminine, and we had menswear customers who were also custom, who were also interested. So we thought, you know, we go with coarser yarns and blend it with cotton to see, you know, how it feels, and it was great. So make it make it more not stable, but more to give it more structure. More structure. Yeah. More structure, and you know more oomph to it so it's it wouldn't be so feminine that you know men would wear it okay cool that's really interesting and then moving on to was it the early 90s then when you started your business echotex yes yeah and i started Ecotex, you know when i decided to move forward you know with when i did my research and was planning to move forward with tencel and uh, wanted to start my own business. That's where I came up with the name Ecotex, short for Ecological Textiles. Yep. And um, that's all we did. We didn't sell any other fabrics with the exception of Tencel and Tencel blends. And the people liked it then because of its softness, its use then, not now necessarily, but well, the same use now, but um, because of the softness that it added by blending that fiber to a coarser fiber. Coarser yes, yarn. absolutely. 
in the beginning, you know, when we call to, you know, to our key clients, we would say we have a new fiber, you know, it's a new fabrication, never been done before. It's soft, it's very strong, you know, it's very drapey. And uh, everybody would have the same reaction. Oh my God, it's so soft. Oh my God, it's so drapey. And everybody loved the touch and the feeling of something new and different. And uh, in a couple of short years, we sold, you know, from coast to coast, to from Jones, New York, and Liz Claiborne, to smaller contemporary designers, to bigger department stores. We even um, did some collections for Marks and Spencer yeah. through Dewhurst. Right. We used to do 100% Tencel uh, shirtings, yarn dyed. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, do you um? Do you do you? sell into just the fashion industry or do you sell into the interior industry now with um, heavier weights well mainly we are most of our business has been uh, i would say uh, in the fashion industry we've had some fi fabrics that are um, heavier in weight and the proper construction in for homeware we are putting some uh, emphasis and some more development into the home industry it's a bit more stable than the fashion industry but uh, definitely there is a there's been a good um, reception well that's great that's really good news um but you also have a studio don't you you also specialize in creating designs as well and you do print from the design studio there. yes we do um so our design studio um, it's kind of a change from what it was, you know, up, up until a few years ago, we used to have three full-time designers, uh, print stylists, and then we had a print director. So the four of them managed the department. Um, as a result of our many changes uh, in the industry and um, trying to stay competitive, what we do now is we mostly utilize the services of uh, freelance designers. Yeah. Um, in a way, it's been um, it's been working better because you know um, you get to use with the ease of internet, you know, designers from different countries with different point of views. Yeah. And they have a fresh eye and. Uh, that customers seem to like better. Yeah, you've also got instant access most of the time these days, haven't you? So you can you can select and then download the digital file, and you've got it. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's easier. It's more economical. It's you know, you're not stuck with uh, fixed costs. You know, you, you you utilize the service as you need. Yeah. It's like kind of a subscription based. Yeah, absolutely. Do you do you utilize digital technology in um, in the in your production do you use mills that use digital yes we do um, not as much as we like to I, I think uh, for digital textile printing to become the mainstream the technology has to somewhat still catch up although it has it has made uh, great uh, improvements since the first Mimaki machine we had about I don't know 15 years ago but uh, nowadays, still, um, production is limited um, in bulk, and the price per meter printing 
still is higher than you know conventional screen printing um, or roller printing um, but mainly our smaller more contemporary designers or startups yep. uh, they are going more digital because of s smaller quantities and not not wanting to pay for the screen charges yep. and having the ease of you know dropping a uh, digital file into printing yeah you're right and i think that's where the where the tipping point occurs isn't it when you're under a thousand meters really as you say um you, to recover your screen costs and go down the analog route, you have to be tipping over a thousand meters and beyond, really. Um, and Absolutely. the marketplace is changing completely. The fashion houses don't place ten thousand meter orders these days, do they? They, if you look at the volume of what they print, they still print big volumes, and those volumes are still growing. But there are more SKUs within those volumes, more That's different exactly designs. No. When we used to get, you know basic running orders like you know maybe somebody would come in and say okay we want to run these three basic fabrics here is our order for the great goods like for a hundred thousand yards or fifty thousand yards and they would assort it yeah nowadays um we have customers who come in and they just want to go with the minimum minimum part even though they're big companies yep. they're still like, hundreds of millions of dollars in sales they're not getting it used to be people wanted to go narrow and deep yep. into something and now it's exactly the opposite. They want to be wide and shallow, just be in and out as little as they can and on with the next and on with the next. Yep. Um, so you have a lot more development costs and a lot more, you know, um, time. You need a lot more resources to develop more products. Yeah. And there's, there's no seasons anymore, really, are there, in that frame? Because they're no, const I, I, constantly repeating, they're constantly re-engaging and recreating new work. Absolutely. We used to be, you know, I always say when we used to do four collections a year yeah. and we're all domestic, made in USA, uh, our business was different than right now where it's like 12 collections, if not more. Everybody wants to see newness is on a weekly basis, monthly basis, new patterns, new fabrics, yeah. new textures, new yeah. colorways, uh, new bodies, constant newness. It is constant newness, and you're quite right, it is on a weekly cycle, it's um, so fast. It is. It? Yeah. And, it is. Because and the consumer trend, you know, the consumer's uh, purchasing habits have changed. So as a result, manufacturers and, um, and retailers have to change with the, with, with the consumer demand. Yep. Nobody okay. wants to look the same designers being all in stores you know people want to look different than individualists you know just to stand out yeah they do yeah and also I think that the stores to um, for their marketing by nature as well you it's the, the days of window shopping are long gone aren't they people used to go and have a look around the shops and then choose and then go back the next week and you know fill the shopping cart but nobody can do that anymore if you go into a store you need to buy it if you see it online, you buy it because two weeks later the stock's gone and they don't remake it. If it's that's just, true, yeah, it's just circulating. But in doing that, you also create this kind of buying hysteria, don't you? Where you, by nature, you're shortening the buying cycle for both the manufacturer and the consumer, and you const the the buyers are constantly speeding it up. That's true. Um, the same goes here, you know, in. Um, um, 
in US, in, in LA, it's, uh, it, I'm sure it's the same in, in any part of the world. You know, first of all, you have free shipping and free returns. Um, so many consumers, you know, they, they pre-order things. So as, it, as soon as it comes out, you know, they, they have it. And if they don't like it, they send it back. That also creates a strain, a cost yeah. to the retailers, yeah. you know, but, um, I think this whole speeding up and constantly changing, it also leads to a lot of um, markdowns and always um, having sales going on, yep. which I think yep. is a big detriment to the industry. Um, but, you know, taking returns six months later or a year later without any reason, um, I don't agree with that. You know, if something is wrong, you know, uh, they should. Uh, address it you know within a you know three four weeks 30 days is plenty of time for someone to make a return yeah it's the same here in the uk actually yeah but i guess that's also part of um the 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 big brands trying to constantly please their clients isn't it you know by by trying to give them all of this exceptional service and all these exceptional options but um, you know somebody at the end has to pay for it yeah exactly somebody at the end at the end of the line it's like a race to the bottom. Yep. So somebody at the end is going to have to pay for it because this constant newness, this constant, you know, uh, mania of having a new collection every week or every month. And then you have to have a technology to be able to predict um, what sizes, what colors, what styles, what bodies better resonate with your customers. Having the inventory management so your money is not sitting there and, you know, and then getting rid of what hasn't sold. Yeah, exactly. Turn over cash. So um, there was a study last week. I can't remember where I read it, but it said in U.S. markdown money cost the retailers three hundred billion dollars. Wow. Worth of markdown money. I can send the article to you, but uh, it's unbelievable because there's always sales going on. Right now, the consumer is spoiled with you know. Buy one, get one free, buy one, you know, get 20% or do something. There's always something special going on. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's just like a circulation of waste. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's money or the products, really. And as you say, totally unsustainable in today's environment, really. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's like uh, the anti-sustainable business yeah. model. <laughs> it constant, is, yeah. You know, yeah. Constant creation of, you know, newness to pump up sales. And uh, it's not very sustainable. No, it's just uh, it's adrenaline, isn't it? It's just being fueled by a, a neurosis, I think, really. Um, that, uh, that I think you probably answered our next question, maybe or maybe not. What's the biggest change you've seen in the last two years? Well, I would say in, in what respect? Into sustainability, into textiles, into... Sustainability is the next question. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so the, the 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 industry you probably just described it really the fast that it the, the that it's so fast paced now as you say volumes are smaller, skews are smaller but speeds faster. Anything anything else to add on that really? Well, I would say in the past two years, speed due to internet yeah. has been the biggest uh, disruptor, you know, and you see some major retailers who had thousands of stores, 100 stores, not being able to adapt or adapt fast enough to uh, the new rise of new e-tailers yeah. who 
all they do is with with the they have the pulse of the market and the customer by utilizing influencer marketing on Instagram and Facebook and other social media platforms. So those guys um, are getting a big chunk of the business away, and um, it's becoming faster. And uh, yeah, have you seen a, a growing demand? For your fabrics over the last couple of years, though, as the sustainability issue starts to gain ground, you know, uh, yes, that's the other thing. You know, definitely with the Generation Z uh, and after the Millennials, you know, they they are more interested to know where the products come from. You know, how was it made? How is it made? How does it impact the environment? So there is definitely more consciousness going on. And maybe that's why brands and retailers are now doing, taking some active measure. You can see from uh, from Zara to uh, uh, any major brand or retailer, they all have a sustainability program. What, however big or small it is, at least it's a step towards the right direction. And some of it might be just a PR thing. I don't know, yeah, but. I agree, uh, yeah. But even if it, even if it's a PR, at least it's towards the right direction. Yeah, at least it's raising you know? awareness. Yeah, agreed. That's yeah. right. And yeah. I think the raising awareness is the most important thing. So, to question your answer, yes, we're getting more uh, uh, demand for sustainable, eco-friendly fabrics or clothing. Um, however, uh, a lot of it comes down again to price. Uh-huh. You know, because you know. Um, if it's truly sustainable and certifiable, you know, by a third-party entity, you know, uh-huh. Control Union, Oikotex, or uh, I don't know, you know, any yeah. Blue Sign yeah. or any other yeah. viable accreditation, all those accreditations and uh, the the process that's required to make it sustainable or eco-friendly, it's not for free. It costs, yeah. and those costs are have to be handed down, you know. Uh, there are many actors um, who provide um, um, basic stuff as sustainable, and it's it's up to the brands and retailers to really demand and verify their certification. Yeah, because you, yeah, transparency. Transparency is key. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Transparency is key. Yeah, especially in such tight time frames and such short supply routes. You have to have um, great working relationships with all your partners, don't you, when you're working at such huge speed? Absolutely. So I, th- I think sustainability, you know, will become more of uh, mainstream as prices come down. Because, you know, if you think of it, you know, if you're buying clothes, if you go to the store or if you buy something online, the first thing that attracts you, it's not going to say, oh, this is sustainable, buy me because I'm eco-friendly. <laughs> it has to look right, it has to feel right, it has to be trend right, it has to fit you right. And I think at the end, by the way, it's also sustainable and it's and or eco-friendly. Yeah. It's, you know, it's not the first point of sale, it's the last point of sale or, you know, down there somewhere, but it's an important point of, uh, point of sale. Yeah, yeah. But as you say, 
to do to do to, to create things in a truly sustainable format does add um, does add to the basic cost, doesn't it? Really, it does. But yeah, as does um, I'm sure, and maybe you have more. I'm sure you'll have more experience on this. Um, recycling, because at the end of the day, you're processing it twice, aren't you? So, how do you find that with your recycled products? Well, uh, currently we're using some. Uh, Recycled polyester and recycled nylons, uh -huh. and we are in conversation with a plant in near Barcelona, where they take you know textiles, and it's a end-to-end business. -end, um, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, where they take your textiles and uh, they will uh, recycle it and add other materials to it to make it suitable for use. Uh -huh. So if you have some like dead stock that you can't get rid of it or it's not selling, if it's feasible to ship it, you know, we just happen to be in Los Angeles and they're in Spain, but I'm sure, you know, originally, um, uh, it makes a lot of sense, you know, just rather than just, you know, destroy it, it's better to send it to another plant that can recycle that into a new uh, product that gives a new life. Yeah, I think that's one of the next big industries, isn't it? Controlling, recycling waste and uh, managing all of the discarded, all of the discarded things that we 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 just as a as humans throw away. Um, and I was I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago actually about how the term most of the production of um, most of the textiles, if you look by percentage, is in the in the West. Um, in the east, sorry, but all of the waste is in the west. <laughs> so, yes. so in order to have sustainable recycling, what has to happen is that utilizing all of the incredible new technologies that are bubbling away, but not quite there, as you say, to um, to to recycle the fibers into a the quantity that's needed, massive, massive quantities that are actually needed to to mix and to blends and things. But well, I also think they have to go. They have to reshore. They have to do it in the in the at the origin where where the waste is. There has to be recycling. That's that's correct. So that's where I think you know the municipal governments. You know they need to get more involved. Right now in Los Angeles, in New York, some you know bigger cities on the coasts, there are companies where they have bins where people can go deposit their used clothes that they don't want anymore. And they, they pick it up, they sort it. Sometimes uh, the the product it's sold to other countries or shipped to other countries like African countries, practically. Or some of them is also sorted into recycled fibers that make new fabrications. But you know, I think the bigger answer to make it bigger, to make it more viable, how you have trash bins. You know, we have two colored trash bins. You know, blue and green. One is for, you know, food waste and one is for like, you know, plastics and other things that are recyclable. There should be maybe a third one that everybody's home or apartment buildings or where they work, where you can deposit your used clothes, old yeah. clothes that yeah. is, you know, too small, ripped, torn, whatever, yeah. that is picked up through the same recycled companies and it makes it, either they recycle it themselves or they ship it to the, they feed it to, to regional recycling plants that can handle that yeah so it takes a more of a how we dispose of trash it has to be a certain as big of a setup to um, 
recycle and you know turn your old clothes into something new. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because here in the UK, there's quite a few brands, um, global brands actually, who who are actually putting that into the selling. It's actually a sales item in that. Um, H&M announced recently that they're launching a campaign where if you buy, they will actually take back clothes that you didn't buy from them and yes. take them back to store and they'll recycle them for you. And I think that's starting to become part of the sale, isn't it? That Which is, is bizarre, really, to think, you know, many, many years ago you buy something, but now you can take it back for nothing. <laughs> it's just a bit weird. Yeah, but, but I think the H&M idea, is, I've seen it actually in stores in Los Angeles, yeah. They uh, how they do it. I think it's a great idea, but again, that takes somebody putting their clothes into their shopping bag, driving to the store, and it's probably they're trying to make a sale while doing good. But if if you really want to get everybody involved, is it should be as easy as putting your old clothes into the trash bin. Yeah, but yeah. it's a it's a selected trash bin yeah. that is for recycling of clothes. Yep. That is picked up by the same municipalities and is fed to uh, recycling plants to to handle it properly. Yeah, you're right. It has to be effortless, doesn't it? Right. Yeah, people have, people just won't make the effort <laughs> otherwise. Right. They won't walk right. across the street. Yeah, exactly. They'll just dump it in with the other rubbish and it all gets mixed up. And there's, That's right. Yeah, and there's no win for anybody. Oh, thank you. Well, for Raphael, I'm so conscious of taking up so much of your time. Um, last question. Um, okay. What's your biggest wish for the industry in the next two years? What would you really like to see us all achieve together? Oof, that's a tough one. Um, obviously, uh, transparency and um, sustainability and another adjective would be loyalty yeah <laughs> yeah you know because um, you know and i understand it's the way business works but um brands have to brands and supply the supply chain has to stick together yeah yeah and they all have to abide by the same rules you know and to make sure that they don't put profits if they're going to say because you know i see it all the time you know i've had brands come up to me and say you know we're doing a menswear line we're buying like i don't know thousands of yards 50 60,000 yards of this blend is cotton polyester and spandex um make it for us and when we need it can you make it organic cotton and recycled polyester and spandex so why don't you buy from day one? Oh, we don't need to now up until if somebody asks us for um, certification. So a lot of people are abusing and using the sustainability um, and are faking it because nobody's checking it. Yeah, that's a really you know? great point, yeah. And that puts, you know, puts, you know, companies who are genuinely have been at this or who are genuinely trying to make a difference or offering products that, you know, meet and surpass, you know, tests and standards and, you know, third-party verification at a disadvantage because, you know. Yeah, because that costs money. Yeah, that costs money to do, doesn't it, really? As you say, that all has to go onto the bottom line of any business. 
Um, That's right. And whether you know a, a company like yours has a has a lifetime history in trying to be more eco friendly and develop ecological products. Um, yeah, it's not right that other people should come along and jump on the bandwagon to make a quick profit, really. I think that's what you're saying, isn't it? Exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's not great. Oh, well, let's hope we'll, the industry cleans its act up then. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, and fast fashion becomes more sustainable. Yeah? I hope, certainly hope so. Oh, that's great. Raphael, thank you so much for your time this morning thank and this you. evening for me. It's been a pleasure talking My to pleasure. you. Yeah. And Likewise. Do keep in touch and we'll speak soon. For sure, thank you. Okay. Thanks very much. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.